What's up, y'all? Welcome back into the Lacrosse Bucket Podcast. We have a pretty jam-packed show today on a rare Wednesday show. So I didn't record one on Tuesday as I usually do, so pushed it back to Wednesday. Uh, We'll also have one out tomorrow on Thursday as well, um, previewing the weekend to come. Um, and we already had to put a jam-packed show today. Uh, Hofstra UMass had a big game, big CAA game yesterday. Uh, UNC Duke plays on Thursday, ACC Thursday night lacrosse that we're going to get into. But right as I literally was finishing up the prep for this show and about to hit record, and we get news that Dehokan Anacoke has been dismissed at Albany. Uh, Scott Maul and Albany releasing a statement saying that he was dismissed due to or based on internal team issues. Um, Dehoka has also put out a personal statement on Twitter um, where. He called it a group decision for him to lo- no longer be a part of the team. Um, but and then he goes on to say, it is what's best for me personally and the future of the team. Um, he goes on to mention that he will be attending, uh, finishing his uh, academics at Albany um, and you know, doesn't give any insight to what's next for him, but I would assume that what's next for him is the PLL, is the NLL. Um, He's a guy, honestly, that could have come out early if he wanted to and had that same success, made some pretty good money. Um, You know, he's been in the spotlight, really, of college lacrosse since his freshman year or even before his freshman year. Um, having highlight real goals in the fall, having highlight real, real goals every weekend during his high school career down at IMG. Um, so Dehoka, you know, what's next for him? I think it's pro lacrosse. Um, I, I don't think we see him in a college uniform ever again. Um, sadly, you know, very good player, ends his career with 170 points, 195 goals, 61 assists, um, through, uh, what, about three years, if you add up half of this year, half of last year, um, about three years of play. Helped lead them to that 2018 championship weekend appearance. Um, you know, and, you know, Dehoka, he was out for the first game of the season, due to COVID protocols, and then missed last week's game against UMass following a fight during the Binghamton game uh, where he and three other of, of his teammates, well, he was one of three Albany players suspended after that altercation. So Dehoka Nanakoke is out at Albany. Now, we addressed a bit what the future looks like for Dehoka, obviously wish him the best. Uh, hope to be seeing him play sometime soon. 
Very, very fun player to watch. As far as Albany is concerned, you know, this is a big deal. You're losing your best player, and let's pull up the schedule here. You're losing your best player right during crunch time where we're getting down the stretch of conference play. I mean, you have, what, one, two, three, four, five, six games left on your schedule. You ask, well, you're going to win. But, you know, you, you have at Syracuse on Thursday the 8th. You have Vermont again. You have a tough UMBC team. Um, and then, obviously, you have the America East tournament. You have the NCAA tournament. I think, you know, and, and look, you're coming off a loss to Stony Brook. Um, I think Albany's still a contender without him, and we know they have talent without him. Um, you look at the and look look at that UMass game like that showed you he was not there. They're missing the leading scorer in Dahoka. He's not there, but they're able to get it done with Jacob Patterson, with Kyle Casey, with Graydon Hogg, with Bergmaster, with uh, Ron John. They're able to get it done with these guys. Camden Hay, Corey Yunker. This is a deep offensive squad. I think it's a lot deeper than some people think it is. Um, defensively, they have some issues, but and certainly had some issues on Saturday against Stony Brook, but I think this is still an Albany team. With or without Tohoka, they were going to be in the uh, America East title game or a, or contending for an America East title. And with Dehoka gone um, for the rest of the season, uh, no longer with the program, I think Albany is still going to be vying for a spot in the America East title game, a spot in the America East playoffs Um they could still make the NCAA tournament, obviously win the conference. So while it changes a lot in terms of you don't have your number one offensive threat around, I don't think it changes things to the degree maybe that it would have a year ago because I do think they have a lot of the, a lot of these guys seem to gel better with each other than they have in the past outside um, of just Dehoka. So this is an offense that is pretty deep um, that we've seen. And when they can work together, they can be successful. Um, and they've been successful without him. So um, I do think this is an Albany team still very formidable, especially in their conference, despite losing Dehoka for the rest, uh, well, for the rest of the season. Uh, moving on here to Hofstra and UMass, who played, I would argue, one of the more high-profile, probably the most high-profile mid-major midweek game of the season thus far. A 16-10 to win for UMass uh, for the Minutemen on the road at Hofstra. Uh, one of two games that these two will play um, against each other this season. Uh, they will have a rematch 
on April 9th, uh, which, you know, it, if you were going to circle that one, uh, double circle it because this was a fantastic game. I expect next game to be fantastic as well. UMass obviously getting the win in this one. You know, when you look at what they were able to do offensively, like their offense doesn't do anything special. They work the ball around. They exploit matchups. It's a very, it's a very, it's, I don't want to call it dumbed down, but it's very simplistic offense that they run. There's not too much flashiness going on. And, And for most of the game, it was work the ball around. Get somebody on a short stick, dodge the shorty, exploit those matchups, and they did that to a T. Um, despite you know Hochman not doing very well at the faceoff dot, um, you saw Brian Herber go sixteen for thirteen on the day at the dot for Hofstra. But with that said, Hofstra did not really dominate possession especially in the first quarter when uh, they got down, I believe it was 5-2 to two, um, heading into the second, and then 9-4 to four heading into the half. Really the only quarter, the only part of the game where Hofstra, I would say, dominated possession. And, and like they got possessions, they got shots, but they weren't able to capitalize. Uh, the only time they were able to capitalize was the third quarter. Um, they were able to cut th- to cut it down to a nine to six lead early in the third. UMass able to answer, um, and for for the most part, the UMass defense. Uh, we talked about their game against Albany. There was times where they didn't really pressure the ball. Um, as much as they probably should have. Um, I thought they did a better job of that today. Um, that was me on Tuesday. They held Ryan Tierney to just two goals, both coming in the final uh, final stanza there. They doubled him all game long. They doubled Ryan Tierney. Um, they knew where he was every second he was on the field. And, and you could tell that, and it made a difference. Uh, so th- this UMass defense was vastly improved, um, helped them even with that faceoff disadvantage, the, those possession disadvantages, uh, their defense was really, really looked good in this game. I thought Ryan Fitzpatrick played, uh, one of his better games of the season, obviously had a goal, um, in transition, the LSM there, and then Duloc, I thought played, uh, very good as well. Um, had a couple batted passes, uh, batted down a couple passes, I should say. Um, they, especially in transition, I thought UMass's defense looked more buttoned up than they have all season long um, to shut down Hofstra, but and, and that helped with the possession disadvantage, especially in the third, helped them get back into things um, and be able to kind of run, uh, run through the finish line there. And get that sixteen to ten win, um, and, and, and you know it, it. It wasn't just the faceoff unit that was looking good for Hofstra, though. Um, while their defense still needs a lot of work, um, and you had Bobby Casey in goal for this one, his second game of the season. I thought he looked fine, but 
Um, overall, this defense, and I've said it before and I'll say it again, is just not very good. Um, you're not going to win many games playing defense like they have this season. They have an amazing offense. Um, they're solid at the faceoff dot. If that can outbalance their piss-poor defensive play at times, fine. And you can win some games. You can make some plays. But that's not going to happen every single week. And that's certainly not going to happen every time you step on the field. So this Hofstra defense needs to step up um, as we get deeper into conference play here. And if they're going to beat UMass next time, they've got to step up. uh, Because I've mentioned before, this UMass team is, I mean, I would argue not only the deepest team in the CAA, but the deepest and most talented mid-major probably this season. Um, And we saw Devin Spencer. We saw um, Billy Philpott and a number of guys step up. Uh, Gabriel Prosek stepped up as well, had four goals to assist. Um, just the, the amount of guys that they can step that can step up on any given day and you know put up four, five goals, uh, five points, you know, whatever it is, um, is I don't want to call it a next man up mentality, but the, the, it, it is an, an essence that where anybody can step up and be, that number one guy, be that threat any day. And and if you have a defense it's not playing very well, they're going to exploit that. Um, what, what, what I mentioned, a pretty simplistic offense, and they're able to do that very, very well. They're very skilled at doing that. Now, the one thing I do want to mention about Hofstra, and especially this offense, while Ryan Tierney was shut down pretty much for the first half, well, the first three Periods of play, he was shut down. No goals, no assist. I think he had five shots at the half, and he ended with 10 shots on the day. Um, And I mentioned UMass's defense did a fantastic job of shutting him down. The problem is, when you shut him down, you leave open a guy like Justin uh, Linsky, who had himself a pretty good day offensively. Um, and, and he kind of took on that role as that, um, I don't want to say a number one, but he took on that role as that, as that feeder, as that main option on offense. Uh, he ended the day with two goals, three assists. Um, and then you had Colton Rudd, uh, Lally Forte had two, two assists. Justin Sykes had two goals and then Ryan Tierney had two goals. But while Tierney was down, and Tierney scored the last two goals of the game, and that was with like 13 and 11 minutes left in the in the in the in regulation, is when he when is when he found the back of the net. <laughs> he had the one where he did a little somersault uh, afterwards, uh, which uh, made Sports Center. Uh, if you did not see that, but um, Linsky, Rudd. Forte, Sykes, like these are some dangerous players, and you can shut down Ryan Tierney all you want. If you're getting those possessions from the face-off game, you get Linsky behind the cage, um, and, and, and I, I don't think I, I, I have really, I don't think college lacrosse in general 
has appreciated what Justin Linsky can do from behind the cage. Um, I think it was seven of Hofstra's 10 goals were scored off of passes or dodges from X. Let me say that again. I, I believe it might be eight, but um, seven, by my count, seven of Hofstra's 10 goals were scored running the ball through X, either being a pass or a dodge from X. And more often than not, Linsky was the one doing the work. UMass's defense adjusted. I just gave all this praise to UMass's defense and how they adjusted from the Albany game, and they did, but they didn't adjust well to Hofstra going behind the cage. I don't, I can understand late in the game, we want to get some transition goals. I understand that, but I don't understand why they didn't try. When they switched ends in the fourth, they didn't really try to initiate from behind the cage as much. Um, I think they had one goal. I think one of Tierney's goals was a dodge from behind from X, but they didn't really try to initiate like they did in the third when they had all this momentum, um, for, at least from what I saw. Um, so, like, if Hofstra can do that every game, they're going to be pretty successful. Um, no matter if it's Linsky, Tierney, whoever, uh, Rudd had an assist from X, I believe. Um, or had a, uh, not an assist, a hockey assist from X, I believe. So a lot of guys um, that they can run behind the net and uh, be successful, successful running that offense through. Now, I mentioned the face-off battle went to Hofstra. I mentioned that UMass's defense kind of um, evened out that. And a big piece of that was the ground ball battle, 37 to 28 for UMass. That kind of tells you the story of the game. UMass did commit 19 turnovers, nine in the third, which was their worst quarter in the third. Um, Hofstra had 16 turnovers. So, um, like, for what it's worth, this was a pretty even game. I know a 16-10 to 10 final might not look like that, but this was a good game, a pretty even-ish game for the most part, and I'm certainly excited for uh, this rematch here coming up in a few weeks. Again, definitely circle April 9th on your calendars. All right, so we... Gone over the biggest news of the week, and we've gone over the biggest midweek game. Besides, well, the biggest midweek game up to this point. Now we head to the what I what everyone presumes will be another ACC Thursday night thriller: North Carolina versus Duke. Looking at the polls at the moment, um, these two teams are at the top. Duke, this is looking at the inside lacrosse media poll. 
Duke is number one at the moment. Carolina is number two. Carolina was number one in week five and six. Now week seven of the poll, Duke sits atop there. Whoever wins this contest will be number one heading into week, uh, well, after uh, week eight, uh, which technically I'm counting this as week nine, but for the poll's sake, it's week eight. Um, man, I'm, I am hyped for this game. I'm jacked up for this game. This is one. Turn off everything you're doing. Cancel everything you're doing on Thursday night. Get to the ACC freaking network if you can. If you don't have the ACC network, call up a buddy. Get his login. Get the ACC network. You will not want to miss this one. You will not want to miss this one. Number one, number two, this could be the national title game preview. Note, this could be a championship weekend preview. Like, this is a, and this will be the one of three contests between these two this season. This series, UNC Duke, and I said this back in, I believe it was June or July. And this was before we knew everybody coming back for UNC. But we knew Sowers was was going to Duke, and we knew their transfers. And we knew at least, and we knew Gray was going to be back and Bowen. Um, and we knew some of the other guys, but we didn't know everybody yet. But still, like, I, I think I, I wrote an article. I can't remember what the title was. Um, something about 2020, 2021 being the year of Tobacco Road. And we're freaking seeing that right now. Um, like Duke was preseason number one. They were number one all the way up to week five, and it was Carolina for two weeks, and now Duke's back at this spot. Um, we saw some NCAA if you, uh, stuff drop yesterday from Terry Foy of Inside Lacrosse. I'll link the article in the description. Raleigh, Chapel Hill could be a, a spot where they host the First round, if they do choose to do predetermined sites, uh, which looks like they could be um, going for um, there. Uh, I'll talk a bit about that at the end of the podcast. Uh, really good article there from Terry Foy, interview with Tim Leonard. Uh, so, again, that's in the link in the show notes. Um, and then we'll talk about it on the back end of the show here. But back to this game, UNC Duke. Michael Sowers, Chris Gray, number one, number two. Look, both these offenses, fantastic. Fantastic. We know who these guys are. We know who these guys are. We've seen these guys, 9-0 Duke, 8-0 Carolina. We have seen these guys pass every single test this year. This is the biggest test, right? This is the biggest test right now. Both these offenses, I expect to put up. Like, I don't even know. Like, can we say it's going to be a 20 21 game? Like, I think both these defenses are pretty dang good. But I think this game, like, let's, let's be real. These offenses are the best that either defense is going to see all season. So, 
I mean, I do think this game is going to be more so a testament to which defense which defense can hold the opposing offense better. I think that's going to be the main key here because um, I think both these offenses are going to go to work. They're going to do what, they, what they're going to do. We're going to see Michael Sowers do his thing. We're going to see Chris Gray do his thing. Joe Robertson, Brennan O'Neill, Nakai Montgomery, Nofu Duke, Nikki Solomon, Tanner Cook, William Paley, Jacob Kelly, Justin Anderson for uh, Carolina. The Carolina midfield is fantastic. The Duke midfield is fantastic. The Duke attack, the Carolina attack. Like These are fantastic players. These are fantastic units. And, like, this game could come down to a battle. Like, these three contests between these these two will probably decide number one, number two in the ACC. Obviously, there's no AQ for the ACC, but still. And there's no um, conference tournament this year. But still, winning your conference, that's bragging rights enough. Winning the ACC, that's a tough thing to do. Um so you do have that going for you. The thing, I mentioned the offenses. We know what they are. We know what they can do. We know how dangerous they are. I mentioned the defenses. I think both defenses are going to be tested more than they ever have. In cage for Duke, obviously, Mike Adler. In cage for Carolina, Colin Craig. I am very interested. Mike Adler, I know the dude. He's a fifth-year senior we know how talented he is. We know the kind of player he is. I am more interested in Craig and what he can do. What is he? No, we saw what he did against Virginia, and that was fantastic. What's he going to do against Duke? This is not only an ACC game. This is a rivalry game. This is a battle of one versus two. This is the biggest game of his career. How is he going to step up in that moment? I think Mike Adler can step up in that moment. He's an experienced, seasoned veteran. Can Craig step step up in that moment and be what he needs to be for Carolina to win this game to anchor that defense? Will Bowen, can he do what is needed to be done. If you remember, Will Bowen was out in 2019. He has not played many ACC games. Um, Carolina is one ACC game in, and that's Virginia. And that they dominated the first half. They let them come back a bit in the second half, and their defense didn't look too fantastic in the second half. There were some lapses. I think they've learned from that. Um, and same can be said for uh, Duke. They have certainly learned from last week when they got up big against Syracuse, let them come back. So for me, the defenses, the offenses are going to do their thing. The defenses are where I have the question marks and where I wonder who's going to come out on top. Also, I'm very intrigued by this face-off battle. Very intrigued by this face-off battle. Jake Naso has been fantastic for Duke early on. Um, I, I shouldn't say early on anymore, but uh, this season. The freshman has been 
frankly, amazing. Uh, pulling up his stats here, he's gone 67%. Um, he's transitioned to the SNG very well. Um, 121 wins out of 180 attempts, 67%. You couldn't ask a freshman to do much better than that. Um, for Carolina, though, I think, well, you have two guys that are above, well above 50%. And Andrew Tillier and Zach Tucci. Tillier, 74 wins, 126 attempts. Tucci, 71 wins, 111 attempts. Now, the the question for me at the faceoff dot is, again, Naso is a freshman. How does he stand up in this game? He was fantastic. He was very good against um, Syracuse last week. He went 75% against Syracuse. He has not gone below 50% all year. His worst game was 50% against High Point, and that's the one where he got taken out early. He only took four faceoffs. And I'm, I'm not counting the Denver game where he took one and lost one. Like, I'm not counting that. The games that he's taken... So if you like the games that he's been the primary option or taken more than than you know nineteen twenty, he hasn't gone below fifty percent all year. Um, and then when you look at t- uh, Toyu and Tucci, that's one of the better duos at the faceoff dot that we've seen this year. Um, and so and Toyu has taken the majority of them. And Tucci's been kind of, uh, has the second most attempts. So, you know, that for me is, how is that, I don't, I don't, it's not a double team, uh, but, you know, how does that duo go against Duke, which, and we've seen Dan O'Connell step up and be more successful at the faceoff dot when asked to recently. But if you just go in NASO, versus Toyu and Tucci, you know, is that going to wear him down? And if so, can O'Connell, can Gender come in there and be as successful as we've seen Carolina do with that duo there of Toyu and Tucci? So face-off dot, definitely an interesting battle there. Interesting game all around. Um, you know, I, I wasn't going to pick a winner in this one, but... Um, I, I decided, yeah, you know what, I'll, I'll go ahead and pick who I think is going to win this one. Um, and, and this is difficult. I, I I think of the three contests that we're going to see between these two teams, I don't, like, there's not going to be a sweep. I think, you know, I, I think we could see, like, a, like I, so to start, I think Duke's going to win this one. Um. Uh, even though I think Carolina has probably more experience in terms of a tougher schedule thus far in 2021, um, and I mentioned this last week as well, well, Duke played Mercer, Jacksonville, um, 
High Point, like they they just beat up on all these SoCon teams for weeks and then went into Syracuse. Whereas Carolina, they've already played an ACC team earlier in the season. Um, obviously, they both played Denver. Um, so, you know, I, I I do wonder. But again, Carolina also played Air Force. Um, they've also beaten up on SoCon teams. So, um, you know, you could argue that against both teams. But um, I I think Duke's going to win this one. I think it's going to be probably a one-two goal game. Uh, but I think Duke is going to pull this one out. Um, and, and I don't think, th- again, I don't think if Duke wins this one, I think we would likely see Carolina win the second one. And if they don't win the second one, they will certainly win the third one. Like, I think at least, like, both teams are going to at least win one game in this series. Moving on to some news here, um, and then we'll get out of here. And I I, I told you I was going to talk about this on on, um, Sunday, but I forgot um, that I had it written down and just completely skipped over it. Mailist. Hashtag free Mailist. Them dudes are stuck in a voluntary quarantine that ends today. It ends today. I've not seen any news of it being extended again, but Mailist has only had one game. They've been in quarantine for dang near a month now. Um, It's horrible. They have no positive cases, and neither does the women's program. Like, none of the, and I don't know which teams have positive cases or if there are even any positive cases in the athletic uh, department area. I don't know that. But I know that the men's lacrosse team does not have any positive cases. I know that the women's lacrosse team, they've also said, we have no positive cases. Why are we shut down? Why, why, why are we shut down? This is another it's another instance of, and I'm trying to think of a nice word to say this, but just ridiculous policy um, based on conjecture with no basis in science, with no basis in fairness or liberty or freedom, that these schools, these conferences that you know, we've been subject to as a nation for the past year. Be safe. Do everything you can. But do not lock people down who do not have anything to be locked down for. If you have the virus, yes, Quarantine. Make sure you're safe. Make sure you don't infect other people. But if you have a whole team that does not have any cases, why the heck are they locked down? And what's your what's your explanation? Like like that's what I want to know. And I haven't read into it enough to know why they went into a voluntary quarantine. I think they had some cases on the campus, but like. Was it involving the men's lacrosse team? No. So why do they have to be shut down? They haven't played in a month, y'all. They want to know. And I, I saw Coach Wilkinson tweet over the weekend. He's like, look, you know, I didn't think I'd be complaining about being undefeated in March. But, man, this is ridiculous. Like, we're, we still can't play. Um, but Marist, 
you know, those set to visit Siena this weekend, I, you know, from everything I've seen right now, it, it, it looks like that's going to go through. I've not seen anything that um, tells me this voluntary quarantine, this voluntary, you know, uh, shutdown, this lockdown is going to continue. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens, but, but it looks like Marist is free after today. Um, no, it, it, it's great to see. Uh, but again, it's ridiculous that they're even in the situation. Um, again, baseless conjecture from this university. And we've seen this not only at Marist, we saw it at UMass, we've seen it at other schools. Uh, baseless policies made on conjecture with no basis in science, with no basis in fairness or equality, liberty or freedom. Probably wouldn't go too far there, but um, again, great to see Marist back. They are free at once. As of the time of this recording, if the school makes another stupid decision like this, after this podcast comes out, I, I just might have to rant some more on Thursday. But um, it looks like they're going to be back this week um, playing uh, the favorite in the MAC. Now, speaking of the MAC, they also uh, the the conference announced today that um, they will have an eight team conference tournament, which which intrigues me a lot because. When we look at the MAC standings, I know Marist has not played for the reasons I just ranted about for about five minutes there. Um, when you look at the MAC standings, as I pull it up right here, this is a conference, man. This is going to be fun. This is going to be fun. Um, pull up those standings here. So right now you have Manhattan sitting at, at, at in first place. With a 3-0 conference record. Quinnipiac in second. With a 1-0 conference record. Monmouth. Detroit Mercy are 2-1. Canisius is 1-1. St. Bonaventure. Siena are 0-3. Marist obviously not played a conference game yet. Uh, just have that one game. And remember. Their first game of the season did not count for a conference record. For any of these teams. So. Uh, reminder on that. So. But from what we've seen in kind of the parody or whatever you want to call it in the MAC this year, um, so far, this is going to be a, a fun tournament, man. Like, I'm excited for this. Everybody makes it. Um, you no, know, we could see, you know, you know, I, I don't know. Is Manhattan going to win out the rest of the season? They, they're they looking good. Monmouth has looked pretty good. Um, you know, I, I don't think anybody's going to beat Marist, but... Um, I, I think outside of that, and again, we'll see how they look like after coming out of a nearly, well, I guess it was like a two, two and a half week quarantine thing. I said month long, that was a little bit overkill there, but, um, they haven't played in about a month, uh, March 6th is what I meant by that. But, um, this is going to be interesting. Um, you know, Quinnipiac. Started a bit slow. They had a pause as well, which kind of interrupted things. Uh, Monmouth looking good. Detroit mostly has some good pieces. Uh, Canisius watched them over the weekend, and you know they 
they surprised me a bit. They've surprised me. Uh, Sienna has been not as good as I thought they were going to be. Uh, 0-3 in conference play, have not won a game. Uh, St. Bonaventure, they won a game. Uh, not a conference not a conference counting game, but they won a game. And uh, they lost an over... Oh, they lost by one to Monmouth and then one to Quinnipiac. So this is a team that, while no, they're not they're not winning games right now. Uh, the, the last two weeks, they're certainly in the hunt. They're certainly hanging in there for sixty minutes. So that's another team. Like there's just a whole a whole slew of teams. This whole conference is um, looks like to be Marist at the top, and then like a big glob there in the middle, um, and, and Manhattan is at the top of that glob right now. Um, I don't know if a glob is the best way to phrase that, but it's a big mess, and Manhattan's at the top of that right now, um, and, and we'll see how things turn out, but uh, eight-team conference tournament in the MAC, I'm excited for it. Uh, I think that could be, uh, be very, very interesting to say the least. As always, this has been the Lacrosse Bucket Podcast. I am Tanner Dimling. You can find us on social media at lacrossebucket.atlacrossebucket on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Lacrossebucket.com is the website. You can listen to the podcast and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, uh, Stitcher, multiple other ones. You can leave a five-star review on the Apple platform. Again, thank y'all for listening, and we will see y'all on Thursday. It might be another later episode because I'm going to wait till the Duke. Um, yeah, it will be a later episode because I'm going to wait for Duke UNC to get over uh, before I um, do my recap of that game and and record the podcast. So we'll be a bit later than usual, but we'll still have a podcast out on Thursday for y'all. As always, thank y'all for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Enjoy the lacrosse.